this morning we are thinking a little bit about world mission. And I don't know about you, but it has felt to me like a very long winter. And yesterday I was out in the car and something really, I think, miraculous happened. The gauge on the temperature actually said 11 degrees. I couldn't believe it was in double figures. So it felt to me like spring is actually beginning to emerge. And I was driving along the ring road and the Bloomfield Road roundabout is covered in daffodils. And I thought, well, thank you, Lord, there are signs of spring. And, you know, it, it got me thinking a little bit that I think as a church, we're also in a spring time. Spring is a time of looking forward to what's ahead, hopefully to long days of summer. And I think we're in a springtime here spiritually where we're looking forward to really good things ahead, the good things that God has for us. And I've been really excited recently when Matthew and Nigel have shared with us about the vision for mission in Bangor Parish over the next year. This is an exciting time for us as a church. And I've been excited that not only are we focusing on our local community, but we're also going to raise the profile of world mission as well, cross-cultural mission, having a global perspective on mission. And it's not that that hasn't been happening in Bangor Parish, because it certainly has. Lots of people have connections with different organizations overseas. Many of us have served overseas in either long or short term uh, time. We've our young people are leading the way in this. Many of our young people have served for short times overseas. So this has been happening. But what we want to do is raise the profile of that over the next year. We want to get involved in different ways and engage with scripture. What does scripture tell us about global mission? And, and what does God's call for us mean? So it's really exciting and perfect timing that Susan is just back from Cambodia. So she is going to come up this morning and I'm just going to ask her a few questions to get a flavour about Cambodia. So come on up, Susan. Good morning. Yeah, I think so, yeah. So we're just going to get an interest. So Susan is going to be sharing on the 24th of April. There's going to be a special night where we're going to focus on Cambodia. But she's just going to give us a little flavor of that this morning. She has some photos and things to show us. But the first thing I wondered, Susan, was, you know, why did you end up there? Like, how did God lead you to Cambodia? Um, I guess it's a cliche to say that at 17 or 18, God really put it in my heart to spread his love across the world. But that is actually the truth of the matter. He really did. I have felt that strongly since I was very involved in the church at that age, and I really felt that. Uh, fast forward to 21, I became a police officer, and I served for 30 years as a police officer. I retired, obviously, at age 51 then in 2016, so now you all know how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, I went away from the church for a very long time, actually, and thank God and thank the Lord that he brought me back to the church and he brought me to this wonderful church um, six or seven years ago. Um, I think that through that time, the challenge and the preparation for going to another country really, really began. I'm not going to tell him a whole life story, but the past few years in a few sentences has been real preparation for me to go to a developing country. I sold my house four years ago, quite quickly actually, and then I ended up, I rented a house, um, which meant hugely downsizing my life and my property, my stuff, because I love stuff, I'm all about the stuff, like most of us. So I've learned to live quite humbly in the last four years and rented accommodation, 
um, with very, very little. My belongings, as we speak right now, are in a six-foot square storage space somewhere in Newtonards because I am kind of officially homeless, which I keep using as excuses for things to people. But <laughs> I'm just sharing with friends and moving around a wee bit until the Lord finds the right home for me. Um, another challenge that I've had in the last few years is that almost three years ago, I had major surgery on my foot. Um, this meant that I couldn't drive for four months. This meant that I was as much as I could do to wash my face in the morning. I just felt emotionally challenged, mentally challenged, physically challenged. Um, and I feel that God really stripped me back then. It made me more vulnerable, uh, which obviously as a police officer and as the sort of independent woman that I am, I'm not used to showing. But uh, that was a really stripping, another stripping back experience for me. Uh, as soon as I actually was recovering from my foot, I got a skin cancer on my nose immediately after that. So that was quite a horrible procedure, of course, right in the middle of the face. So that was three months of no makeup, going bare. So really, I just thought, Lord, you can't strip my life back anymore. But I see now that this was really in preparation because my life was stripped back more, going to another country. So it's really interesting that you faced a time of challenge but now looking back, you can see it was preparation for something. So give us a little flavor about what you actually did in Cambodia. If I told you everything I did, would be here to 10 o'clock tonight, <laughs> in truth. This lovely picture is taken from, I lived in a small apartment on the ninth floor. So this is sunrise and this is the view. Um, I, I don't want people to think, I mean, Cambodia is a developing country. However, it's quite cosmopolitan city, Phnom Penh. There are a lot of very, very wealthy people there amongst the Maseratis and the Aston Martins and the Porsches and the Range Rovers. There's tuk-tuks and bicycles, children with no shoes on their feet, children with no clothes on their back, people with no food in their stomach. There's no real middle ground in a country like this. So, uh, what I, oh yes, what I did. forgot what you asked me there. <laughs> um, I just picked a couple of wee highlights, and I think one of the highlights for me was really two days before Christmas. I went with an outreach called Glue Ministries, uh, carol singing in the red light district. So that's a busy part of Phnom Penh. There was a lot of people to reach out to there. There was only about 30 of us, but boy, did we sing. We sang the, all the favorite carols from the bottom of our heart. People of, of all sorts were stopping with us. Of course, the street kids were all around us because we had cookies to give them. But that was a really uplifting, lovely, special. And because Christmas is not really a big thing in Phnom Penh, that really made me feel like the true meaning of Christmas, actually, to share God's love in a very troubled part of a very troubled country. Another uh, highlight for me was teaching in a village called Sensok. I had about 25 teenagers. I could speak a wee bit of English. Uh, so I was there every week sort of helping them. After a couple of weeks, the teachers in Nguyen said to me, can we teach the kids a song? And you will never believe the song was 10,000 Reasons. I can't believe that we sang that song this morning. I spent three weeks teaching the kids this song, and more importantly, not just teaching them the words, but teaching them the meaning of the song. And by the time we were singing it fully after the three weeks, it was unbelievable to see the love of Jesus coming out of them. It was just wonderful. So it's really like making me emotional. Such a blessing this morning. I don't know if anyone planned that behind my back. Maybe you. <laughs> it was just a wonderful blessing that that happened. Um, and of course, the biggest highlight of all, thanks to you wonderful people here and the fabulous donations that you gave me, the financial support, as promised, every penny went to Care for Cambodia. This is um, a province called Kampong Tom, which is about five hours outside Phnom Penh. 
Do you know, people laugh at me because I'm saying when you live in a big country, five hours is not very long to drive, actually. If you're in Northern Ireland, you drive five hours, you're probably in the middle of the sea somewhere. But we thought nothing of driving five hours in the morning, five hours back at night. This was the world builders then in the site, the teacher of the school. The school gave us a small plot of land, which is actually only worth about 200 pounds, the plot of land. This is uh, the finished school. These pictures aren't in order. <coughs> This is the finished school, the classrooms. This is the teacher's home. You can see the Carver Cambodia logo. This is the classroom underneath, which is kind of the normal everyday school. So now this is the children now, and this is thanks to you people in Bangor Parish. It's absolutely amazing that we've done this. I think this is the main highlight for me. It was such a blessing to be able to provide this. There's the kids just as the work is progressing with the teacher, Sophia. Uh, there they are again, they're all sort of staring at me. There's very, very few white people would be in this part of Cambodia, never mind white hair, tall, kind of scary looking. So I think they were more amused by me than I was by them. But it was really wonderful, and that's the finished building then. This building will also be used actually as a church and a meeting place for Christians. We're a Christian organization, Care for Cambodia. So obviously we allow our buildings to be used for anything. So that's a real double blessing actually that Christians in these very rural villages now have an official building to go to. Thanks to you guys. Oh, don't look at that. That's easy. That's, that's no makeup, you see. <laughs> that's the before shot. The teacher, Sophia, as I was saying in the earlier service actually, People, she's got her mouth closed because she's only got about three teeth. People have no dental care or no dental education, so they actually hate getting their photographs taken, and they always, you know, stand with their mouth closed like this. Um, she spoke no English, so I got my co-worker, Johnny, who spoke Cambodian, to translate to her for me to explain what a blessing it was and that our church will support them in prayer and in love um, from the other side of the world, really, that I didn't want her to think I was just some Western woman going over there and just building a school. I told her that it came from you guys, and it was a really lovely moment for me. So there's so much more I know Susan could tell us about what she did in Cambodia and how God blessed it. But um, we're going to hear more about that on the 24th and the special evening I was mentioning. Now, I'm a little bit like you, Susan, in that, you know, when I was growing up as a child, I used to hear stories about overseas and I always had this feeling that I wanted to go. And I ended up going to Cairo for a year, many years ago. But when I, when I went to Cairo, I thought, you know, I'm going to save the world. I'm going to make this massive difference in this place. And what I found was that actually I learned more and God changed me more in that than actually what I was able to offer. So what, what, did, you, what did God teach you when you were there? What did you learn? Um, I think I actually agree with you. Every single missionary that I met over there, and there was a lot, everyone sort of says, and their motto is really, it's not what you do for the country, it's what the country does for you. And I know I stood here on this very steps a few months ago and said, I'm going to do this and that and the other. But actually, I didn't do any of those things. One big thing I learned is that my plan is not God's plan. I, I made great strides in other ways, spreading God's love. So you never. I learned one thing is never just go with your own plan in your head. Um, I have a big list of things that I learned, actually, a huge number of things that I learned. But this is I'm just going to quickly go through a few of them. Of course, on a practical level, I learned a lot about a country and a culture that I know nothing about. And I've been able to share with you guys because I don't know, I mean, most of us wouldn't really know that much about Cambodia, to be honest. So that, that's a, a good thing to be able to, I feel quite confident now speaking about Cambodia, it's wonderful. I learned a lot about myself, obviously. I learned I'm braver than I thought I was and I'm more resilient than I thought I was. 
that my passion for mission was true and that it's lasted all these years and my passion for spreading God's love is true. I learned that faith and trust in God really works. I think there's nothing else. I think, yeah, there's really nothing else. I mean, I went out there by myself, aged 53, not with a team of people, totally on my own. It was very hard at the start. But faith and trust and obedience just get you through every single day. Oh, I also learned that you're never too old to be a mad Christian. As Bishop Clark said in the Holy Week, mad is make a difference, Christian. That we have a lot of, I think it's wonderful that young people now have the opportunities. We never had those opportunities when I was 18 to do those sorts of things, which is why I'm doing it now. So please don't be put off by age or experience. We have a lot more to bring to the table, actually. A lot of different things to bring to the table. So that's a lovely thing to consider. I learned the gift of a worldview of life and a worldview of Christianity. I learned that Christianity goes much outside this church, outside Bangor. I learned that God's love is universal. It's a real honor to worship with people from all over the world, people that can't speak much English, actually, but, or know English, but to know that you have God's love. The message is the same. Some of the worship songs were the same, which always made me feel a bit homesick. But, and it, you know, when someone got up to speak, you could hardly understand them because they couldn't speak that much English, but you just knew that God was there and in the room with you. I learned about communication without words which have nonverbal communication is wonderful. I'm sure you were the same, Anita. So a smile, a gesture. It's just enough sometimes to make someone's day. Um, I think I learned really that what really matters in life, I think that all that preparation of stripping me back will always stay with me now. I can't see myself going back to big things and big stuff, and I don't get bothered anymore. Now I'm only back a couple of weeks, but I hear people moaning about the weather, about the traffic, about the shops and Bangor being rubbish and this, that, and the other, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, in light world life, people are going around with no food in their stomach, and they're not moaning about it. That's just part of their life, unfortunately. Children have no shoes on their feet. I spent the four months wearing two pairs of flip-flops and over the whole time, and actually someone said to me one day, why do you need two pairs? You only need one pair, you know, because you can only wear one pair at a time. But I didn't want to say, oh, actually, I've got about 100 pairs of shoes at home. <laughs> I'm ashamed to say I've built them up over many, many years. But I, I just really would say what's important in life is not possessions. I actually just want to share this very quickly. I was outside there before I came in, and a lovely gentleman who's still here at this service uh, walked in off the street and said to me that he had been a missionary in China for 10 years, and that he thought it was easier to spread God's love in another country. And you probably agree with that, Anita. But that is amazingly true. It's very, very easy to talk about Christianity in another country. And that's a real blessing. Oh, and before I go down, I just want to say thank you all for your wonderful love, prayers, phone calls. Imagine my surprise sitting in a coffee shop in Phnom Penh and Victor and Mo rang me one day, <laughs> which I was not expecting at all. And the wonderful welcome back here, which I really humbly don't deserve, to be honest, but it's really filled my heart. Thank you so much. Thanks, Susan. Is, is there just anything else that you would say to anybody who has felt that sort of nudge that you and I have maybe felt in the past to go? What, what would you say to anybody who's feeling like, oh, maybe that's something I would do? I would say if that's in your heart, then please follow your heart. Pray, 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 and have the faith and the trust. God will equip you. 
God, if you're obedient to God, he will equip you, he will be with you. You will have the head start of having the love of this church family behind you all the way. Push doors, and if they open, please go through them. And you're never too old. God will always be on your side, and God is universal and all over the world. And what you bring back is a million times more than what you give. Susan has already said a lot of what I want to say this morning, but I will say some more. But before we do that, I'm just going to pray for Susan and pray that God will open his word to us this morning. So let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our sister Susan, for leading her to Cambodia, for her obedience to your call, for all that you blessed her with when, you, when she was there, for her sense of your presence with her in every circumstance when she was there, and for how you bless the Cambodian people through her. We give you thanks for all of these things, for we know all this is possible in Jesus alone. And so, Father, we ask that as Susan prepares for life in the future and uh, continues with this lovely downsizing of her life that she talks about, we pray for your blessing on her. We pray for your continued leading and guiding in her life and that your purposes will unfold. We also now ask, Father, that you would open your word to us, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear what global mission means for each of us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Thanks, Susan. So, as I said, Susan has said a lot of what I want to talk about this morning, but as one of the things Susan has touched on is that global mission is not easy, it is challenging. And as we're preparing for mission in Bangor Parish, I've been really struck by some of the things that Matthew in particular has told us about the needs on our own doorstep about the needs in this harbour ward in Bangor where our church is situated. And in many ways, it might be easier to just focus on that. Why don't we just focus our efforts where we are right now? But I think that would be really mistaken, and I think that would be missing the point and missing out on the biblical mandate that we have to have a global perspective. So we're just going to explore that a little bit now this morning. One, I love the definition that John Stott uses about mission. He says, mission arises primarily out of the nature, not of the church, but of God himself. The living God of the Bible is the sending God. I'll just read that again. Mission arises primarily not out of the nature of the church, but of God himself. The living God of the Bible is the sending God. So throughout the biblical narrative, we can see the truth of that. We can see God sending people. He sent Abraham into the unknown with promises of what was to come. He sent Joseph into Egypt to preserve a remnant of his people. He sent Moses to liberate the people. And then, of course, he sent a continuous succession of prophets with words of warning and blessing and promise. And then, crucially, he sent Jesus himself into the world to be the savior of the world. And then when the time came, he also sent the Holy Spirit to us. The living God of the Bible is the sending God. He sends those who obey his call, and he always has a specific purpose for the mission that he sends them on. Of course, Jesus' mission is the most important one. And what, of course, is clear in the Bible is that he sends us on that same mission. John 20, 21, Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. I don't think he could be much clearer about the fact that he is sending us. Now, that could be that he is sending us here in Bangor, and he certainly has. That is where he has planted each of our feet. 
But as Nigel said last week, we have to be people with soft hearts and hard feet. And we have to be prepared for those feet to travel wherever God sends us to. And what's really clear as well is that Jesus' mission is for the entire world. The Great Commission will be very familiar to us. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We should be very familiar with that in Bangor Parish because it's inscribed on the wall of the Comgal room. So we can't avoid it. Jesus said, go to all nations. There's hundreds of references in the Bible to all nations, all people, every tribe, every tongue, people of every language and background. The gospel is not confined to any one people group. It is for the entire world. And I think it's really Jesus just didn't want to miss that point because just before his ascension into heaven, he basically reiterated that great commission in Acts chapter one. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So maybe he just wanted to be sure that they didn't miss the point. The gospel is not confined to any one people group. It is for all nations everywhere. And in the early church in Acts, we see the apostles getting this and we start to see missionary journeys actually happening. And many of us will be familiar with Paul's missionary journeys, how he went out. And what's really clear in Acts is that it's the spirit-empowered church that sends out a few. So a few go, but it's a spirit-empowered church that send them out. And I believe that's what God is calling us to as a church as well, to be a spirit-empowered church that send out a few and the rest of us who are here support that view. Just as Susan has told us about how the church family here supported her in her time in Cambodia. So we have a model in the Bible for cross-cultural mission. The early apostles went out and it broke down racial barriers, cultural barriers, geographical barriers in the name of Jesus. That is our model. God's purpose is to bring salvation to all people. And yet there are still millions of people in the world today who have never even heard of the name of Jesus. So our God is ascending God and his job of sending is not finished. The story is not finished because too many have not even yet heard the name of Jesus. So that's the first reason why I think we're called to have a global perspective. Jesus tells us to. It's quite simple. But I think it's more than that. And I think if we go back to John Stott's definition, we can tease out some more there. John Stott, again, mission arises from the nature of God himself. And what do we know about God? We know he is a God of justice and he is a God of mercy. And those two things in themselves should make us a people who care about the entire world. So if you look at global statistics, it's really quite staggering. You only have to turn on your TV in the morning to see challenges right across the world. Even this morning, I saw terrible things happening in Syria. The world is a very broken place and it is full of darkness. One in 10 people in the world live in extreme poverty today. And that's people who live on less than one US dollar 90 per month per day. One in seven people still don't have access to electricity. Millions of people don't have access to clean drinking water and sanitation. Half of the world's poorest people live in sub-Saharan Africa. 
a third of the food produced in the world today is waste. We just destroy it. And yet there are millions of people who are starving. It's suspected today that 21 million people are living in modern day slavery. And that's a very conservative estimate because what they say about modern day slavery is we don't actually know the right figures. But 21 million as a conservative estimate, that is mind blowing. That's more than when William Wilberforce campaigned against slavery, but that's happening in our world right now. More than 200 million believers in the world in over 50 countries are facing extreme persecution because of their faith. I could go on, human trafficking, climate change, natural disasters, conflict, the list is endless. These things are happening in our world today and yet we know that our God is a God of justice and a God of mercy. Um, it's so clear that that's where God's heart is, that Jesus' mission was for the poor and the oppressed. It really struck me that in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus first goes up to the temple and announces his ministry at the very start, this is what he says. He uses the scripture from Isaiah chapter 61 and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. So he set out his stall very clearly. His mission was for the poor and the oppressed. That's who he came to save. So if we have a God of justice and a God of mercy, how do we respond to the figures and the statistics that I've just given, knowing that God cares greatly about the poor and the oppressed. Well, our reading this morning from Isaiah is really, really challenging, but it's also very encouraging. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture, actually. So I feel quite indulged this morning that I'm getting to talk about it. But what Isaiah is saying to the people is, you are disconnected from God if you don't engage with the poor, but there is a way to put that right. We can actually have the opportunity to let our light shine in the darkness. There are three stages in that chapter in Isaiah. I would encourage you to go and read it again at home. There's a lot in it. So take it away and maybe pray through that scripture. First of all, he's saying to the people, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? I think what he's saying in that is, it's all right to come to church and sing your nice songs and have a nice time together. But if you don't care about the poor and the oppressed among you, you're not connecting. That's not the kind of worship I request of you. Worship without a heart for justice and mercy is meaningless to God. That's hugely challenging for me. And I think maybe for many of us. But he then goes on to give us a solution. He says, is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? This is Isaiah saying, this is how you connect with God. This is true worship, to share our food with the hungry, to provide shelter. Now, we may not all be called to go and do that directly, as Susan did. She directly provided shelter for a school in Cambodia, but we can all play our part. 
And what's really brilliant is that Isaiah says that if we do that, then our light shines in the darkness. It actually transforms us. And that's what Susan was saying about her time in Cambodia. I've certainly experienced it in my travels overseas. You think you go to do all this wonderful work, and we do, but actually it transforms us. So what Isaiah takes us through is this disconnection from God, a connection with God by connecting with the poor, and then a transformation that happens in us. Through following this and being obedient to God's call, we actually become the people that God calls us to be. If you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness. Timothy Keller, one of the leading authors of today, writes a lot about issues about justice and mercy. And he says, a super sensitive social conscience and a life poured out in service to others is the inevitable sign of a real connection with God. A super sensitive social conscience and a life poured out in service to others is the inevitable sign of a real connection with God. So if we want to be connected with God, we have to pour ourselves out for other people. And if Jesus sends us on the same mission that he came on, we can see how he poured out his life for others. Jesus didn't just give to the poor, Jesus became poor. He was born into a borrowed stable, he rode on a borrowed donkey into Jerusalem. He was buried in a borrowed grave. He didn't just give to the poor, he became the poor. He totally emptied himself of status and took on our frailty, our suffering, all of our temptations, and preached and proclaimed the good news and sent us out to do that across the world. So I think we have to have a global perspective on mission because our God is ascending God and our God is a God of justice and mercy. So as I said, this might mean different things to different people here. For some of us, we might feel that call to go. Certainly some of our young people are going this summer. Jack is heading off to Kenya. Lewis is heading to India. So they have been called to go and they've been obedient in that, and that is fantastic. The rest of us who aren't maybe going anywhere immediately, we can do our bit to support them. We can act. We can come along to the coffee morning to support them. We can pray for them. We can pray about these global issues. We can pray and seek how God would ask us to respond to these challenging scriptures. We may want to partner with other organizations overseas. As the next year progresses in Bangor Parish we're, and we raise this profile of global mission, we're going to look at what this might look like. So we might want to seek out other groups overseas to partner with in mission. We are going to try and host some special events where we really just focus on global issues. We're going to try and delve more into the scripture about what it means to be people who seek justice and mercy in the world. So there's going to be a lot to think about and I would encourage you to go away and pray about that. So this morning we're going to watch a video in a moment that just helps us to reflect a little more on that but I would encourage you to pray and as we show the video just pray, ask the Lord what does it mean for me? And also, if you do feel that stirring in your heart, when I was a little girl, any time a missionary came to church, I used to think, oh, I want to do that. If you're sitting there this morning thinking that when Susan speaks about Cambodia, can I encourage you to come up for prayer ministry? Come up and tell others that that's on your heart. Myself and Johnny and Matthew and Nigel over the next year are going to coordinate some of this work on world mission. We'd love more of you to get involved in that. 
if that's something God's placing on your heart, please come and have a chat with us about that. We would really love to walk with you through that. So I'm just going to pray briefly, and then we're going to watch a video. So Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a God who sends, and you're a God of justice and mercy. And we ask that you would give us the courage to respond to the challenges you lay out in Scripture to us. Would you make us into a people who love justice, who love mercy, and who walk humbly with our God? Give us soft hearts and hard feet to take your gospel to all nations. In Jesus' name, amen.